Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Infinite Boost Podcast. Before we get into this episode with The Danger Taco, I just wanted to invite you to join the Discord and come join the community that we have growing and that we are building over on that platform. Would love to have you. Uh, more and more people are joining and I would love to see it become more active and uh, get the community more together. I also want to let you know that I am starting to consistently stream on Twitch and so I would love to see you there as well. It's my extension of taking everything that I'm talking about on the show, everything that I'm learning, everything that I'm working on, and then actually putting that into practice. I'm spending a lot of time training different things, finding different ways to get better, figuring out the things that I need to work on, and then actually working on them, answering questions, and all of that fun stuff. So if you are interested or have the time, try and check out my Twitch channel and come hang out with us there, uh, as well as the Discord. Links, of course, are down in the description. Yes, I finally actually have a Discord link down in the description so come join us thanks so much for listening and here we go with my interview with the danger taco okay there we go i'm back cool all right well we can we can start talking so i think the thing first of all actual beginning of the podcast danger taco so i i we haven't interacted that much at all on the internet, and I've I've kind of been reaching out to more and more people that I'm just completely unfamiliar with, which um, I've enjoyed and started building new relationships, which is always nice. Uh, but we had a small interaction on Twitter. I don't know if you realized that that was me, um, but well, I guess I DM'd you, so I wasn't. Anyways, uh, <laughs> you were responding to Trihouse about his thumbnails and then one I was in his stream one night and he was going like super like try hard focused in this hoops game and his face was just horrendous and I was like <laughs> I need like there is nobody that talks more smack or just like he's so memey he's the memeiest like Rocket League big streamer mm -hmm. that I really pay attention to so when I saw that face I was like I need this forever because I can just use it at a moment's notice and it's going to be perfect. And I've been able to pull that out of my back pocket at least two or three times now. Um, and then you responded to that with the, the Kylo Ren meme. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I want more forehead. I don't, I don't want just like, Oh, you know, I'll sprinkle it in the thumbnails. No, I want it to be five head. I want it to be taking up the whole thumbnail. I mean, that's why, that's why I give him the clicks. That's why I watch his content and I don't know why he won't appease me by giving me as much of the forehead imagery as humanly possible. Yeah. Especially just to like stoke his own ego. You think it would be bigger on those thumbnails. You think it, it he would want it to be the whole thing. It's like, it's like one of those lizards that like fan their sides out <laughs> to like show yep. that they're bigger. It's like that. It's like an alpha show of force. Yeah. It's, he, he should be peacocking more. Yeah, exactly. I don't. I don't know why he's holding himself back. I don't know. He'll hit the next level when he realizes that. Oh yeah, for sure. As soon as he hits like a hundred thousand subscribers, you know those thumbnails are just going to be his face. Yes. Giant with a Rocket League ball just coming out of it. The, the graphic designer is really going to have to step up their game. <laughs> so after that, I was like, oh, maybe this guy would be 
interested in being on the podcast. And then I actually checked out your stream a couple times. Uh, and I saw in the about section that you were studying for a doctorate in psychology, which got me super interested. Um, especially when it said social and I, uh, thought like, oh, well, we just need to do this because I, I, I don't know how much you enjoy talking about the psychology stuff or, um, if you get annoyed when people ask you questions about stuff like that. So I guess I'll lead with that. How, how much, or how open are you to talking about different things in, in that realm as well, since you already do plenty of it already? I mean, I, I, I'm fine with it. I, I like it a lot. I mean, it, it's pretty much my, I think what people come into my stream, they think that streaming is my full-time job because they're like, oh, you're a grad student. You don't get, you don't get paid to be a student, but that's how you make your money as a grad student. You teach classes. Right. And so um, I am perfectly fine with doing that. There's actually been a couple of times where uh, my stream is familiar with this. Sometimes I'll get on a topic or someone will ask a question like, hey, you study psych. Can you explain this? And then I'll just do basically a lecture from one of my classes that I'll just like <laughs> be playing the game. Like I'll be playing like GC Rocket League or whatever. And then I'll just casually also be giving them a lecture on like childhood attachment styles and how it affects your dating life later on. And like I'll be walking them through all that stuff. And they're just like, why are, Why do you know all this? I'm like, it's because it's my job to know it. <laughs> it's, That's so it's like funny. I kind of have to know that. What so, classes do you teach? Uh Usually I'm in a TA role, which is uh, just that I'm there to hold office hours for students who can't make it to the professor or if the professor's too intimidating. There's someone at least somewhat closer to their age. I mean, I'm still got like six, seven years on most of these students, but um, I do that for Psych 100, uh, social psychology, the undergraduate version. Um, might be doing it for stats soon, um, do things for research methods with students, uh, basically teaching them how to make better research, how to make better inductive and deductive guesses about data and how to kind of approach that and then later on moving into more advanced research topics for like the senior level students. So I think the thing that I am most curious about in terms of like psychology, especially when you talk about social psychology, which is what you study, uh, I think if I were to ever get into social psychology, like what you're doing, the thing that would intrigue me the most is uh, human nature and humor, human interaction in video games and, and on the internet, just in terms of like how people treat other people on the internet. And again, like whether you call it uh, using that phrase again, peacocking or just, I, I don't even know how to describe it, but just like the general lack of care for other people not like in the community as a whole but like there are plenty i mean the toxicity let's i'll mm -hmm. sum it down into one word like do you have any thoughts on like what creates that or how it has evolved or like what leads people to feel like that is an okay way to treat other people like what is what is it about that that has kind of fostered this okay mentality of being that way with other human beings? Uh, it's an intersection of a lot of different things, I think. Uh, I think first off, uh, to you need the environment to set that up, because obviously, you can just make the analysis or inference that, you know, people who are toxic in games are just bad people. But I think it goes beyond that, because there's plenty of people who have had toxic moments who they wouldn't self identify, or even other people would say are 
mean people, I think you have to be in a competitive atmosphere because I think that brings up that you actually care about the result or you care about some outcome in a video game. And I think when you have that combined with the fact that you are not in person, it's de-anonymizing it, or it's uh, depersonalizing you into just like an online avatar. I think it sets a platform for minimal accountability that you can get away with pretty egregious things that you would face a lot more condemnation and a lot more real life consequences if you said in person. And so I think that intersecting with um, just video games being a hobby, trying to be as best as you can be in a competitive environment, someone screws up, you get angry, and then you just let loose keyboard warrior smashing the keyboard against the table and trying to <laughs> express how bad someone is. I think that really goes a long way for producing toxic behavior. And I think it's just on the developers of these games to come up with cleaner avenues to punish that behavior or more importantly, probably use differential reinforcement, like reward players for not being toxic. Um, I think Overwatch does that with like you get in faster cues because um, you get like a plus one for like being a good teammate or something. Yeah, they have like, I don't know if they call them commendations or recommendations or like, but you can, mm. you can like approve of teammates in, in Overwatch, like good teammate, good shot caller, like work together really well. So you think, uh, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like, what was the word that you just used in terms of like, treating people well or giving them something as opposed to taking something away. I would say like differential reinforcement is like the term yes. I use, but it's essentially just making sure that you can reward people for certain actions and not for others. And that's essentially the way I think has to be the way forward for re not rewarding being a good person, just not um, going just the way of punishment. Punishment is something that historically is good for like, teaching certain behaviors and what not to do them and whatnot. But a lot of people online realize that punishments don't really matter if they don't have a way of being subverted. And the problem is if you get banned, hop on an alt. If you get, you know, a timeout for five minutes, cool. You sit out for five minutes. So I would like developers to either amp up those punishments or at the very least reward people for not being <laughs> like massive jerks or something. Yeah. So like, at the end of every season, if you don't get banned, you get like a nice green title that says season two, good boy. <laughs> Everybody liked me season two. I would, I would actually love a season two, good boy uh, chat. I, I, I think it just, it'd be fine. I mean, just putting like tox players in different lobbies or something like making them have slower cues. I know like that's, I mean, if you look at like an application, it's slightly different realm. Like um, when people hack in call of duty, sometimes developers will just ban them. I think mm -hmm. the cleaner method that they start doing is apparently Warzone has been doing this a lot more. If you're hacking, sometimes they won't actually report your account. They just put you in a lobby that is only populated with other hackers. And so then you're just in a lobby with only hackers and you get crapped on. And then it's like, oh. And so it takes them a little bit longer. It stifles their ability to actually figure out when they've been soft banned or shadow banned. And it starts getting a lot more uh, diabolical. So that's a very creative way of dealing with it. I don't know how effective it is long term with like, uh, that population but i think toxicity just needs creative methods to solve because it's not as simple as just saying don't do that right oh for sure especially like when you can just get out of it by going on a different account or yeah. things of that nature uh especially now that it's free where you can just have as many accounts as you want mm -hmm. it doesn't keep you from really just doing it over and over again 
did you speaking of i can't remember what they called it uh but fall guys in the first few months when they didn't really have any uh hacking protection mm-hmm. and there was like hacking was becoming more and more prevalent instead of banning those accounts or like as they were working on their hacking uh software to figure out when people were hacking they just started putting all of the hackers on in the same servers so they were doing exactly what you said and just imagining seeing like 60 of those little beans flying across the map all by themselves <laughs> would just it would they actually shared some of the some of the clips from those servers and it was pretty funny they had a uh, one thing that i remember uh they did for a bit i'm not sure if they still do this they if a ca- uh, hacker has like a certain thing that the game can detect it'll allow them into the game but they can't pick up the crown so like they'll get all the way to the end and they'll just like bump into it or like they'll get to the finish line and just hit a wall and i won't be able to cross it so like it basically yeah you can cheat but you won't win you're just just gonna not even be able to grab anything i love that i would i would love to see i think it would be hilarious if rocket league could figure out a way to just like people and i don't let that stuff i mean as much as i can i don't let that stuff get to me what bothers me more is that people feel it's okay to treat other people that way i don't really care when Mm -hmm. people like say mean things to me or like oh you suck uninstall whatever like whatever just the fact that people feel like it's okay to treat other humans that way that's what really gets to me uh but if if you could find a way to just like put them all in their own little hole and leave them there that would that would make me quite happy yeah i i i vibe with you i'm on the same wavelength of it's not necessarily the words it's just the fact that people are going to that length about because like I definitely have moments on my stream where I get mean and I'll be like, "What the heck are you doing there? Like, come on, like pull together, or whatever." But um, I'll try to avoid typing something and definitely not like calling them out or something. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not someone who ats on Twitter and you know starts a flame war. Like I really try to avoid that as much as possible, um, and I have been very successful at it because I try to stand up to the principle of like, if I'm gonna be mean, I'm gonna keep it like low level, just general competitive. Like ah. We should have done better with that um, rather than, you know, all caps screaming in the text chat. Because I think once you hit that point, you need to sit down the controller and <laughs> take <Yeah>. a break. <laughs> and it doesn't it doesn't really help anybody. Like nine times out of 10 people are flaming their own teammates. So they're already obviously making mistakes. You shoving it down their throat and being really mean about it. Is that going to help anybody? Probably not. And it definitely doesn't help anybody. And it. Like it does, it's not going to make you feel any better. It's not going to make me feel any better Then I'm at least who I am as a person. Like then I'm just going to feel even worse. So I definitely, um, I don't know. I don't get it. I, I would love to be able to like do, this is the one thing that would make me want to study psychology is to like get a thousand of these people and just give them a survey. Like, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> just to like dig into it a little bit deeper. I think it would be very interesting. But that's enough about that. We're not writing a dissertation. We're here to talk about Rocket League. Tell me a little bit about your history with the game, like how you found the game. Were you much of a gamer before that? And kind of because you're, I think you're like around 1600 GC or 1600 MMR. So like how, what was what was the pathway from there to the end? Like where you uh, are now. 
so I've always been someone who I think has a fairly unique, uh, I guess, method of going about playing video games in that I usually just kind of dabble in games every once in a while. And then I'll find one game that just like scratches this itch for me that really is just something that really piques my interest. And then I say, oh, this is my game. And then I just play only that and maybe the occasional diversion into something else. But I'll just have one game and I'll just do only that uh, all the time. Uh, at first, when I was growing up, it would just be something like on the PS2 that would just be like a casual game. I loved Ratchet and Clank back in the day. That was like a very fun little mini RPG, if anyone remembers that. Um, later on, when I got into like more bigger big boy consoles, like knew the next gen back then, it was like the 360 and the PS3. Um, I got into Call of Duty. I got really into that. I got pretty good at the game. Um, and then over time, Call of Duty evolved into this situation where it was not boots on the ground, I guess is the term, where you started getting jetpacks and operators, and there was all these crazy special things. And I was like, we're not playing Overwatch. This is way too complicated. It's not why I like the game. And I started getting less and less interested in it because I was like getting worse at the game because I couldn't keep up with like that new meta and I didn't really enjoy it. But then on top of that, I was just like, it's, it's not really there's hackers I have to deal with. There's a weird gap in skill between some people and there's full parties and that really makes a difference. I, I really wish there was a game that would like, I don't know, scratch that competitive ish, but there wasn't such a weird, like uh, a weirdness in the meta of the game or how you play the game. There's just too many factors, too much randomness, too much RNG. Uh, Rocket League came along a game with outside of where you spawn off demos, no RNG. It has no cheaters. It has a, arguably infinite skill uh, skill ceiling in that you can always get better there's not just the best way to play and that's it um it's always creative it's a developing scene and i just started getting super fascinated with it because it was a game that at first it was like oh it's pretty straightforward but then you start learning about new mechanics you watch other people play and you're thinking how do you do that it just seems like there's always more layers to peel out um from it and discover more underneath so that really just capture my imagination i was in college when i got into it but it wasn't until like two years into me playing the game that i actually wanted to start streaming it and wanting to actually like, talk to people because i started getting pretty much i was playing this game exclusively i'm like well might as well talk to people online while i'm doing it and see where that goes um and it's been a good path there i've been able to hit top 100 a couple times almost hit ssl last season um and now i'm just kind of wallowing but it's fun because i've been able to expand into I like public speaking because from teaching and being like a tour guide in college. So I've gotten to commentating, casting for Rocket League in different leagues and uh, tournaments. Uh, I started coaching Rocket League for on the side uh, gig, basically, um, as well as streaming. So I've been really trying to, you know, <laughs> wring the towel, <laughs> uh, get all all I can out of this game uh, to help it's me out. It's pretty fascinating with the internet and how it's expanding all of the different things that you can do with a video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people don't the the normal uh outside community of people that don't really understand the the gaming world, how much you can actually do with video games and all of the all of the various things that kind of it's it opens the doors to. So I I want to go back to your word choice earlier about this season. You said wallowing. <laughs> tell me tell me a little bit more about that. So I'm um, I, I've had a couple of discord communities of players that um, are in collegiate Rocket League or they do coaching in the scene. And 
basically, what I mean by wallowing is uh, I think Rocket League has an interesting issue that many competitive games have that I think where MMR or the matchmaking rating, if people aren't familiar with that, which is basically the number you get assigned based on your skill. When you win, you lose, you get, you, you gain points. When you lose, you lose points. And MMR is basically what determines if you're Grand Champ or Diamond. And in the seasons before season one, like the reboot into free to play, uh, people were able to get pretty high because the seasons were super long. Um, but then they added SSL um, and then they soft reset everyone down. And I think that crammed together a bunch of players. And ever since that season began, I felt like it's been very hard to play because I'm not sure how to react to teammates. And it's like an adjustment to see different play styles, um, which I could go on and on about basically the causes for that. But uh, there's pro players that tweet like, man, I'm stuck way lower. Rizzo literally just had a tweet that says, is anyone else stuck like two ranks below they, where they were like in former seasons? Like I just can't get out. So when I say wallowing, it's more like, I feel like I could be playing higher, but at the end of the day, I need to play better. That's just what it is. Um, but I feel like a lot of people in the past two seasons, the high at a higher levels or even lower levels, people in my chat say like, it's just so hard for me to get back to where I was. Like I was a champ too, but now I'm like diamond two or something like that. That's so interesting did that not happen for you last season like in season one it did but to a lesser extent i think well for example like for example uh, i mentioned i i scraped the underside of supersonic legend in threes that's like the playlist i play almost exclusively on my stream mm -hmm. but uh i was able to get up to 1900 mmr around there which i think it's like 1915 or something is yeah. uh the ssl rank um last season there was like a decent amount of people that were able to hit that but it was a very low percent of players that actually were able to get those rewards and get that tag and all the rewards for it um and last and last season i was able to get up there and hang up a little bit higher in mmr this season it's like i think not even everyone in top 100 for the playlist is a supersonic legend for 3v3 right now there's less than a, there's like 80 people in the entire world that are supersonic legend at the current moment and so it's just so compressed up there that even when you get to 1700, which is 200 odd points off of uh, the top rank, um, or at least the beginning of the top rank, you're getting running into lobbies of, with pro players or top 100 players from former seasons. Like it's very interesting to see how everyone has been, you know, thrown around in the blender that is high level play. So I think I watched a little bit of your stream last night and you were, you're like in 1650 right now, right? Mm -hmm. so what what do you feel like the struggles and i mean you were almost 1900 last season you were like right there what what are, what are you seeing that's different in between the games that you're playing now and the game like where you were before like what is the difference in gameplay and and how is that affecting you as a player or causing you to not be able to return to where you were well, we started talking about earlier, like toxicity. I feel like I've definitely, uh, in part of grad school, I've noticed actually during semesters, I get really tilted because I'm under a lot of stress from regular life and Rocket is supposed to be in my retreat. And if I get tilted in game, then it just kind of snowballs. And so that already puts me in a, occasionally in a mood that I'm not super okay with. But I find that the thing, I coach uh, Rocket League. And one thing I always tell people in set, in private sessions, or I have a, redemption on stream where you can buy a coaching session or get one with channel points and a lot of the uh feedback i give people is there's a humongous difference between uh 
when you should go for a ball because you should go for it and when you can go for it. And that's a distinction I try to uh, tease apart for a lot of my students um, when essentially I feel like they're not moving efficiently. And I think uh, there, this is an argument we got into, or well, discussion more so in a separate discord I have with a bunch of Rocket League coaches where they feel like the issue is, is that with pro players in NA, I think the influence of pro players is that they see them playing hyper fast and think that's the way to play. You just constantly are on the ball. You constantly get those tiny touches to try to screw up opponents and dish passes and creative ways. But what people forget is that that thing that they're watching, that chaos ball chasing super fast play is organized chaos. It's with communications. They're all in comms and discord or team speak. So when there's seemingly just chasing a ball and dishing it around they're telling their teammates where it's going to go so there's that understanding but when you hop into ranked you strip that away you're solo queuing you start getting into situations where i think there's a lot of players that just go for a ball and it confuses everyone else and it's like why are you doing that why are you cutting that rotation and i think that's probably the thing that i've noticed the most about ranked in the past two seasons is that everyone got soft reset down and then everyone's all together to burst out and i think you have a lot of people who are used to playing at a level where passes are more consistent, the rotations are more predictable, the movement is more organized. Um, and at least the feedback I've gotten from other people who are around my level of play in former seasons or to 2000 MMR before season one started was that it's just, it's easier to play at higher levels, weirdly enough, than 1600. Like it's easier for me to play at 17 sometimes because it feels like I'm not constantly trying to figure out okay, how's my teammate going to react to a certain ball? Um, and I think it's weird because it affects how I play. I've noticed I definitely get way more impulsive uh, when I solo queue now because I, I don't know how to trust people, so I just have to adapt my play style from what I'm comfortable with, and I think that screws with me, for sure. <laughs> yeah, because you, you get in this certain flow of how you play and how not just like how you play, but how you expect other people to play. Mm -hmm. And then... I'm sure there's, so I, I was having the same kind of conversation with Hootie who I, I just talked to him, recorded the episode yesterday. Uh, but of course this is getting posted a week from today, but it's, it's the same kind of thing of like, yeah, sure. You feel bad, quote unquote bad, or like you're in this wrong place being in a lower MMR, but being in that lower MMR also creates this like the game is different. Like you play the game differently depending on where you are in an MMR. And if you're used to one thing and you're getting something else that can lead you to play worse or be thrown off or be uncomfortable that, you know, somebody else would be just like, just, just win forehead. If you have been, you know, this, why don't you just get back there and stop complaining? So I, I understand what you're saying. And I think it's so interesting uh, when you mash all these players together, the kind of mess that is thrown out the other side. Yeah. And I, I try to keep myself accountable because uh, I never want to be. <laughs> One thing that kind of got to me a while back is uh, Too Fast is a uh, butt of mine. A partnered streamer plays uh, for University of North Texas and CRL. Um, very good player. And he's known as probably like the friendliest person in the RL community. He's very uh, wholesome. Um, he has a very positive attitude about things. And I remember someone on Twitter mentioned kind of like me and him 
as like, oh, these are two of the more positive streamers. And that's something that bothered me because I don't think of myself as positive. I think I try to be like, give, you know, good vibes and be uplifting. But there's definitely times that like, if I'm having a bad day in ranked, um, I try, I might not be directly blaming teammates, but I do get to the point where I'm like, Ugh, you need to hit that. What is this guy doing? And I hate that about me because I, I keep myself accountable. I want to be, if I make a bad play, I'll hit him my bad. I'll definitely say, I'm sorry about that. I'll say it out loud on stream to take ownership of like, I should have done better than that. I don't know why I assume that that was weird of me to do. And I want to keep myself accountable because I think there is definitely something that I call out on my stream where the people in rank two make a mistake and then they text chat at their teammate and say, why did you let me do that? Basically, they were like, <laughs> you, like you forced me into this. Like, I wouldn't have made that mistake if you didn't do something else. And it's like, OK, but you're like blaming someone for something else. Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't think I'm super wholesome, but I definitely do not want to be someone who's known for just constantly blaming teammates. And that's where I think that blender of people gets difficult because there are times where I feel like I feel like I know the game fairly well and it just gets very confusing to play uh, in ranked at certain times. But I'm that's my resolution basically is just try to focus on yourself because you can't control the outside. Be kind of more mindful about how what you bring to the match rather than, you know, all the external factors. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's helped me a lot over the past five or six months as I've been trying to hone in on my own game more is in every situation where I get scored on or I'm looking at a replay, like being right now in the high 1200s in terms of MMR, I know that my teammates are going to miss. I know that they're going to get bad touches because that's what champ one is. And I get to try and do my best to play my own game and make up for those mistakes, know that I'm going to make mistakes and not necessarily hold my teammates hostage to having to not or having to be perfect. Like it's just not going to happen. And so anytime we get scored on, yeah, my teammate might have missed a save right on the net. But what did I do before that that caused him to have to make that save? kind of situation yeah and i think that's a healthy way to think about it because mm -hmm. i think when people get really focused in and you know that toxicity starts to bubble up with you know why do they do that blah blah blah. there's definitely times where i've gotten really upset during a game and then later on i've looked back at my vod and without me actually being in that moment you know talking to chat and trying to keep a conversation going and maybe I'm a little distracted. I do notice times where I'm like, wait, why did I do that? Or that was a little strange. So um, I, it's part of also coaching in that there's um, at the end of the day, like there are a lot of mistakes that happen just because I influence the way that things are playing, but there's also players who just make mistakes or they make a bad decision and then they get angry at people. Uh, one of the biggest advice that I think really any coach would talk about is um looking back at your own replays and recognizing what you did that might have influenced something else. Cause I think that you touched on a really crucial insight that I think people don't always do is thinking about, yeah, my teammate might've missed a save, but if you go to his perspective and watch it, it looks like you're about to touch it and then you drive away and then he's like, what? And then it shoots. And he got surprised because you took a turn when you weren't supposed to or something. So like stuff like that is something that I try to, you know, open your perspective about uh, and try to, I don't know, see the game differently. So the fact mm -hmm. that you noticed that and mentioned that is 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 interesting to me. Oh, for sure. Well, I I've 
read a lot of leadership books, like a lot of personal development books. And one thing that I've taken away and kind of try to remind myself of as often as possible in work and life, uh, you know, in my relationships is that I am 100% responsible for all things. So, I mean, I would say that everybody is 100% responsible, like in anything. So in any situation, like my teammate could have done something better and I could have done something better. Like, I'm not going to put anything completely on somebody else. And it's always going to give me an opportunity to improve. Uh, so I, I, as often as, and, you know, again, I'm human too. I have emotions. I get grumpy when people don't do things that I expect that they are able to do um, or should be able to do. And I'm not, again, you know, I'm not going to like become a keyboard warrior in that minute and flame that like, it just doesn't help anything. And it, I, I know that what I can control and what I can handle, um, and I can't control my teammates. There's nothing I can do to keep my teammates from, you know, hitting or missing a ball or making a bad rotation or things of that nature. So there's no use getting worked up about it. Um, I want to talk a little bit, or I want to hear a little bit about kind of how you got to the place that you are skill wise. Like, did you, do you spend a lot of time in free play training packs or were you like, did you just get to where you are naturally? Like what was the progression that got you to where you are? Cause some people just get into the game naturally and become, you know, good or, and some people have like really grinded. So I'm curious, like where you are in that spectrum. Um, well, the psychologist to me is saying more about, you know, one of the classic debates of like nature and nurture where it's like there, the nature aspect is that some people just have great reaction time and they are able to pick up certain games and really just click with it. Um, but there's also a humongous amount of nurture in any sport or esport. So how much you're going to work at it. And so I think that's the main thing that I touch on with other people because I don't fixate. I didn't like fixating on hours. I was never, I was never someone that said like, oh, I have, I was, you know, diamond by 600 hours or something like that, because I don't think that's a healthy way of thinking about progression because everyone progresses at different rates. It's just how you put in the practice, what it does for you. Everyone learns in different ways. So um, at least for me, I was definitely a very casual Rocket League player. I, I liked a competitive game. I liked that competitive itch being scratched by playing ranked, but I was kind of just queuing ranked for a long time, like probably a thousand hours. I was just queuing ranked and occasionally going to free play in between games, but I wasn't really using training to its fullest extent. And I felt like that hurt my development because I find that if uh, a lot of mechanics to play at a high level, I mean, the joke I tell about myself as a streamer is that I'm I'm the bare essentials GC. I, I really am not super good at air dribbling. I'm not super good at getting reset flip resets consistently or going off the ceiling, but I'm quick. I move efficiently and I try to get clean shots and saves and that works. And I was able I'm able to rank up and that's what I always did coming up. So getting to this point has just been huge hours. I got GC, I think, after 1200, 1250 hours or something like that. And now I have, I think I just eclipsed something like almost 7000 hours or something like that in the game. So I, I have put in a lot of time. And so when people are saying like, hey, how do I get to that point? Or you're so fast on the ball? Like, what do I like? What do I do in the players? Uh, people in my chat ask that, like in their you know bronze, silver, gold, and they're saying, "What advice do I need to do? What training do I need to do? How do you do this?" And I said, at the end of the day, it's just putting in hours. Like that's like one of the most frustrating things about Rocket League, and I've 
bubble players can definitely relate to this. Not that I'm one, but people I talk to is that this game at the end of the day, you just need to grind it. There's no, it's not a coincidence that people who go pro play this game like eight hours a day. Like it's just takes so much fine tuned mechanical adjustments and muscle memory. Um, so I, it was really just putting in time, but I do wish I spent it a little bit more directed, I would say, <laughs> in the beginning to build that foundation. So after those first 1,200 hours, did you start, like, did you realize, oh, man, I actually take this game pretty seriously. I want to see more improvement. Did you start honing in on some of your mistakes or, like, what is, how has your focus changed since then? Um... Well, when I picked up the game, I didn't have anyone to f play with, really. Like, all my friends were more into other games that I had no interest in, like MOBAs or uh, more like, I don't know, like World of Warcraft type stuff. And so I was like, well, let me just, you know, touch in on this game a little bit more. So I solo queued a lot. And uh, I think inevitably when you're gaining skill in Rocket League, and probably in other competitive games, um, you hit a plateau where you get a point where you feel like you're not improving skill-wise anymore, you're hitting a point where pretty much everyone is around your level. And in my mind, I am very. I would say that if you describe me, people who know me, I'm fairly analytical. I try to think more intensely about things, uh, probably more than I should. <laughs> it's definitely, you know, frozen by analysis sometimes. But I think psychologist. Me, yes. <laughs> for me, <laughs> I'm just trying to think to myself. Okay, so at this point, what's going to separate a lot of people for all the same skill level in a philosophical way almost is that the only difference is really how we make decisions. And so if we break down better and make better decisions, that might mean that that would result in better cues. And so I started thinking about what I didn't know at the time is like rotations and positioning, like how, how, how should I move based on how my teammates move and how should I predict what my teammates are, or what my opponents are going to do based on how they're moving and how uh the boost is situated and how my teammates are forcing them to think and i started getting more into that style of play of starting to move more about rotation and i think that's where i started seeing upticks in skill and started taking it more seriously because i started thinking oh i'm not just playing this game casually anymore i'm like trying to be the best i can be by per like working on my movement and making it cleaner by cleaning up silly mistakes and what causes those silly mistakes and whatnot um, and that started definitely around the time I got Grand Champ uh, was when I started realizing, oh, I actually could, you know, push farther in this. This isn't just a game I can, you know, kick on and be mindless about. This is something I can, like, sink my competitive teeth into and really get the full flavor of the game. And I think it's I think it's and maybe it's because I'm just so ingrained in the community and the pro scene and have been like in the champ area for so long. But uh, did you look at the season one uh, distribution of rank? Yes. Yeah. So. Just to like reiterate for those that are listening in in champ one in threes. Uh, one percent is champ one and then it goes to only 0.52 percent of the entire player base was champ two in standard like i i feel like and i i suppose the best way that i could say it is i take it for granted that i'm like in the champ one champ two area and i think that i'm still really bad at the game 
but in the whole of the player base, like I'm in, I'm in the top 5%, top 4% of the entire player base of Rocket League. And I think I'm really bad. And like, I know that there are, there, I guess, you know, 1% of a million players is still a lot of players. So I guess when you look at it that way, there's still a lot of us that are all the way up there. I just, I say all that to say like your grand champ one, grand champ two, or almost supersonic legend last season. And you're saying when you hit grand champ back in the original system of rank, that's when you just started understanding that you could really dig into the flavor of the game. Like, that you are already at the high quote unquote, the highest level of the game. And that's when you really could start digging into like what was capable for the game. I find that extremely intriguing uh, because there are just still so many people that feel like they're trying to do the best they can. And, you know, they might only be in platinum or diamond. Like there's still so much to go, even when you get to, the highest ranks. Yeah, the because I think when I got into the game, I mentioned earlier that I was getting sick of like kind of the unpredictable elements of Call of Duty. And so I liked Rocket League how there was no RNG. It was very straightforward. It's just how well you can play. There's nothing else that you have to worry about. It's just how well you can play. Um, And for me, the thing that really hit that home was just seeing that, I mean, people have been in Rocket League since the beginning. If you look at like season one professionals, like they're pretty good, but they're nowhere close to that level that they are today because the everyone refines the abilities. They discover how to do these uh, mechanics better. But then you even find like interesting things of just like the musty flick, which is a content creator's creation, which actually is a very interesting fake in 1v1 that you can pull off. And it actually has some nice value um you have flicks where people like you know jump the ball up and turn 45 degrees they turn 180 degrees and backflip into the ball and get a lot of power and that looks like a flashy play but it's actually a super effective way to do it flip resets were invented basically a way to freestyle and just get creative that and ceiling shots have become a meta it's actually a super useful way to play defense it's a super way to generate an awkward shot or pass to a teammate so it's interesting to see all these weird things that get discovered that eventually pros just figure out a way to optimize and then turn that into a viable strategy and technique in higher levels. So when people think of themselves as like, oh, I'm a technically pretty high level, everything's really relative. Obviously, when people say, you know, people come to my chat, like, I want to stream Rocket League, but I'm a diamond. I'm like, well, you're better than 80% of the entire population or something. Like, you should, do, there's definitely an audience for that. But on top of that, it's like people who are, you know, super high level i mean uh fisher <laughs> he's a he's a, a kvm player uh he's uh pretty high ranked in six mans just a you know bubble scene basically uh for rocket league and pro level and he feels like he's nowhere close people come into his stream and tell him he's, he's crazy and he's like no no no. the skill tier is way higher than that so i think everything's relative but i think a lot of people don't really uh realize their level and skill development compared to the mass population for yeah. sure it's the, what is what is that? I can never remember what it's called, but it's it's that chart where like you get to a point where you think you're the best, but you're like totally towards the middle. And then as your skill continues to increase, you realize more and more how much you have to learn. You know what I'm talking about? I always Kinda, this always yeah. 
this always comes up when talking about something like Rocket League, and I'm not smart enough to remember what it's called. Uh, but it, it's it's definitely that that kind of situation. Um, but going back to things that I can actually remember. So you talked about wanting to focus on positioning and rotation, even when you got to GC, like being able to hone in on that more uh, would be able to lead to wins and you becoming a better player. So what were some of the things that you noticed about rotation and and placement and things of that nature that were that allowed you to advance your play farther i think the things that i honed in on earlier is um i think i noticed it the most when i uh, i think the most important skill people learn at least the first skill that they learn uh that really i think catapults them high up ranks is how to aerial quickly um how to mm -hmm. get those quick double jump aerials hit the ball consistently um and then after I started doing that, I started realizing that the way I was moving before I jumped really affected how quickly I could get to a ball, what balls I could get to. And then sometimes if I slow down before I go for an aerial, I can actually go way higher than I normally would have. And so thinking off that, I was thinking, how do I optimize my movement? So most of the time I'm going forward at speed in a direction that actually I can do something with, because I think... Uh, the thing I noticed most was that there was a couple of balls I was not able to get to or that felt really awkward to read. And I was thinking to myself, what would make that less awkward? And so looking back in replays and realizing um, the reason why people, you know, prioritize, for example, back post rotation is like a coaching advice that everyone says to lower level players, like rotate back post, rotate to the post side of the goal that's farthest away from the ball. That's mainly because one on ball cam, you see more of the field Two, you can drive forward into the ball rather than having to turn a U-turn to go around the goal or something to get to the ball um it's just clean uh, what i call pathing essentially how you're driving around the field you're driving in clean swoops rather than these jagged lines where you're darting back and forth um i think those are the things i started noticing a lot i st i did it back in the day and just trying to optimize your movement so i wasn't always just going back and forth or coming to a stop in the midfield when i should just keep moving and get boost and stuff so uh once i started noticing that i started noticing the game felt not necessarily slower, but it felt way more manageable. I felt like I wasn't constantly panicking because I felt like I was in positions that I could have a lot of options rather than kind of forcing myself into a corner. I have been focusing on those same types of things, especially um, I would almost look at it as you know, my friends that I play Rocket League with would say that I push up too much. So staying a little bit farther back and not overcommitting or committing to too many balls, kind of like what you were mentioning earlier about talking to people that you coach in terms of like commitments and like what balls you're going for. Like just because you can go for something doesn't necessarily mean you do go for something, that type of situation. Um, and just staying a little bit farther back because again, going in talking about momentum and like the the direction that your car is facing and where you're going it's a lot easier to use that momentum to move forward instead of like making a quick 90 degree turn or a power slide into a jump where you're killing all your momentum so that's something that i've found that has has really helped me in terms of making better decisions and getting better touches um in terms of like 
maybe in your own game or people that you've coached or worked with, how do you, how do you work with people to kind of reframe how they look at those things and become more effective in their rotations or their positioning decision-making type things? Um, I'll go on record as having definitely say that Verge, uh, coach in the Rocket League scene, he coaches Dignitas's pro team, but also is a great content creator in his own right with his fantastically helpful YouTube segment. I think he has definitively the best video on the internet for teaching you what basically rotation and positioning is. And I think the term he uses is called option coverage. And I think that's the one thing that I try to walk people through. Um, he did it better than I think... I remember when YouTube was first exploding, I was like, oh, I should do coaching content. I watched his video and I'm like, I can't top that, so I'm not going to try. And then I just decided (laughs) not to do that. But uh, what he talks about is essentially when there's a lot of balls that you have to read in the game, but you have to think about, okay, is it worth going for that? Is it something that a teammate can get? What's the risk of me going for that? What's the worst case scenario? Is there a benefit to it? And it's thinking about purpose and thinking about what are you trying to do with the ball? And so when I coach people about positioning and how to move, I think the first thing to walk them through is uh, after they get base line mechanics down, especially diamond champ level, it's really getting to them to the point where they realize, are they going to uh, go for a ball or not? You have to decide that pretty quickly and you get better with mechanics at that. But then past that, it's essentially getting down to the point of saying, okay, if I'm hitting this ball, where am I hitting it? Is there a purpose to hitting it? And Am I trying to pass it? Am I trying to follow it myself? Or am I just trying to screw up the other team? Those are touches you need to focus on. And then past that, if you're playing around teammates, it's just trying to figure out, okay, are you moving up too quickly? Because you mentioned you, your friend said, oh, you're going up too far, you know, stay back. I find a lot of that is because people get too eager. Like the ball is rolling out, another player is about to take it up the wall, so you just dart straight up the field. And then you get to a point where you're equal with the ball, and then you have to slow down. And then it's almost like, uh, and you're kind of waiting. And once you get to that point, it, that's when you realize you jump too far ahead. You need to take a little bit more of an angle uh, first to get to the boost, uh, get like a little cleaner line there, just hold yourself up because ideally, if you're going to go for a ball, you want to go directly at it. You don't want to slow down, wait, 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 and then jump because that's just going to result in a slower play. So a lot of, I think, coaching is uh, hammering those skills in. I would always say people who get a coaching session, you should buy post-its, put them on your monitor, because most of coaching is a session won't fix things. It'll just remind you of things that you need to keep in mind. A lot of people know these things deep down, but they don't do it because it's just they get into a pattern. And I think that's what coaching does. It gives you a perspective and attempts to break those patterns. I think that's a really interesting statement that you just made and something kind of just came to me that I, that I've never really thought about. Like when you practice this, did you play any sports growing up? Yes. I I was, uh, played soccer fairly seriously through high school and the beginning of college. And then I, uh, blew my back out. So I guess, uh, uh, something that has come up with me with other friends, uh, one of my very good friends online, Brian, uh, goes by the tag hypnos. Uh, he was very good at baseball and he had a similar issue where he got injured and that kind of ended his competitive career. But we're both such competitive people that we both kind of migrated over to Rocket League and video games because it was something that you could still access at a high level, but it still was like, oh, wow, I love how I can just get into this and really, you know, bring all that competitive edge and that strategic thinking or something, but to an online game rather than physical sport. 
I I played a lot of sports growing up, um, primarily basketball, uh, and I was actually falling out of video game. I grew up playing video games as well, and it was kind of fading away as I graduated college. Uh, you know, I moved in with my girlfriend. She turned into a fiance, and you know, they just take all your time, so you just don't have the same <laughs> kind of time for video games. Uh, and then I was watching Twitch one day and Rocket League was like at the very top of Twitch. I think Cronovi was streaming the beta and I was just like, oh my God, I need this game. Like this looks amazing. And that kind of started my passion for Rocket League. But where I was kind of going to was like when you're practicing with Rocket or not with Rocket League, with like a sport, with anything really, whether it's um, a sport, whether it's uh, an instrument or anything you're usually going to that practice with some kind of tutor or leader with you like when you go to soccer practice you don't just go with your friends and kick the ball around there's somebody there leading you teaching you how to be better when you're going to basketball practice you have your coach there when you go to piano lessons when you're a little kid or when you go to band or choir like there's a teacher there to help you get better um and i and obviously it's more prevalent at the higher levels, like at pro teams are now starting to have coaches, you know, esports orgs have coaches immediately for their teams. Um, but like when we think about Rocket League and getting better at Rocket League or even like high school esports or something like that, you know, there's no coaches. It's just kind of this wild, wild west of figure out how to get better. Or when you're practicing, you're no, you're just kind of like in free play trying to do things. But if you had a coach, like if you pay for a coaching session, have enough money to pay for like four or five. And so you have the ability to work with somebody, you know, you get those things to work on and you might say, write some of those things down so you can remember them. But then you still have that person to go back to and be like, okay, I worked on this this is getting here, this has gotten here, how can I continue that improvement instead of just kind of doing it once and then leaving it to yourself again? Yeah, and that's why I think I mentioned earlier the, the, the breaking habits, and that's what kind of what coaching does. I think what I, what I wanted to say a little bit more gracefully is that uh, I think learning in pretty much everything is this way, but uh, especially in like a skill-based game like this where you have to implement it with a strategic aspect is uh, it's incremental. You you don't, if you get a coaching session, I guarantee there is no one out there that's like hard stuck in diamond and they're like, I just can't do it. And then they get one coaching session and then suddenly they're like, oh, okay. And then they just play at pro level because they're just that. It would just clear that out. Like it, it will take a long time of a lot of introspection, realizing do I consistently still make these mistakes? It takes a lot of accountability to understand that, oh, oh, right. He told me not to do that. I have to keep that in mind, analyzing your own play. But I think uh, some of my best students that I've seen in terms of jumps up in skill in the past like couple months um, or throughout the past year have been people who have come back to me for uh, I have free redemptions for coaching on my stream that people take advantage of a lot. People who watch my stream a lot will just, you know, endorse those channel point rewards and get a, uh, a review or they'll buy a session from me. And after, you know, four or five while watching the replays back, I, I can see huge improvements in how they think about the game, their movements cleaner. Um, and I talk to them, I'm thinking, well, how have you been liking that development? They say, honestly, a lot of it has been, you know, getting better at the game in general, like I faster, but they're like, most of it, it just comes from 
the way I think about the game now. It's completely different. And learning from me and learning from other YouTube tutorials, like the amount of breadth of knowledge that's out there. Like if you don't want to pay me for a coaching session or a coach, that's fine. You can get a lot of YouTube content out there um, for that's free. So it's crazy to see all that that's out there, but it really just takes you to just be humble enough to realize like maybe there's people who see things in a different way and there's, there is intrinsic value to that. And I think that's like the first step you have to take is realizing that, Hey, I wonder how this person thinks about it. And then seeing how you can implement that. And I, I think something interesting that I can tie to what you were just saying and what we were talking about earlier in terms of how the pro scene has affected the way that people try and play rocket league at lower levels one thing that I think has affected me personally is you see all these players playing extremely fast, but you only see them when like the focus is always on the ball. Like you always see people going after the ball. You don't see people in how they rotate, how they're moving around the field in its entirety. You only see them mostly when they're going for the ball because that's where the action is. It's on the ball. Um, I think that and in tying that to like how people play. So of course you want to be on the ball. It's exciting because you want to be able to hit the ball and hit the ball in fancy ways and score goals and get great saves and, you know, demo people and all that stuff. Uh, but in terms of like being able to learn something, if you actually, if you, unfortunately, if you have the ability, which not everybody has the ability because not everybody plays on PC, if you have the ability to download replays and like watch a, whether it's a pro replay, like from a pro match or just a pro player playing a game, like there's so much value to be had and you can't implement everything, right? Cause of course pro players are going to be hitting ceiling shots and flip resets and air dribbling across the field. Like you can't do those things, but in terms of, how they decide to go for the ball or how they rotate or how they, you know, go for boost and all these different things. Like you can learn from that if you really take in what's happening during the game, as opposed to like trying to learn from just watching RLCS or something like that. Yeah. I, I, I always, I always told people that when they were saying, Oh, I want to watch pro players and learn from them. I think the danger of that is because like, I think when we mentioned that earlier, the one thing I get nervous about is when people say that, I think they don't realize that there's comms. Like the reason they're doing certain things is because they've sure. said to their other teammates, they got it. And so sometimes they make a rotation that I would never advise someone to do in a solo queue match, but within sure. the context of saying, Oh, I know I have boost. he leave it for me. I got it. And then they take it. It's yeah. fine. Um, but I think what you mentioned is accurate. And that the way they approach the ball and the way they like, what do they challenge? What they don't, the, the stuff is important to think about. And it is valuable to look through that. And I find on mechanics, a lot of people, um, one thing that I think in streaming that's definitely exploded, uh, it's very rare now to find a Rocket League streamer that does not have a controller overlay on. Mm -hmm. um, I used to never have that on because whenever I, when I got into Twitch, I was already pretty high GC and I would watch other Twitch streamers and they'd have it on there and I just found myself never looking at it. I just never had any desire to look at what their controller was doing. And so I remember at one point on my stream, I just started asking people, I'm like, like way back in the beginning, like first six months, I was just like, does anyone want this? And everyone was kind of like, eh, whatever. I don't really want it. So I turned it off. I just didn't have it for a while. And then a bunch of people uh, started coming to my stream. They were low level, like maybe runs through like flat or something. And they said, hey, why don't you have a controller? I'd love to see how you're moving your stick. 
and it's like oh like what do you mean like well you're doing certain things in the air i want to be able to like watch a clip of it and i'll clip the i'll clip your stream and i'll watch back how you moved your left stick um and what buttons you use to manipulate your car in a way and when i look back through my vods you can watch when pe there's a time marker in yeah. the highlights that show when people hit clips and i started noticing when i go back through vods there's a bunch of random clips that i'm not doing anything there's no funny moment there's no cool goal there's nothing funny happened in general but i just did something that someone clipped and it's not titled anything outside of just how or clip or danger taco something or controller and that's it and i started noticing people started doing that and i'm like i think it's genuinely just because people watch other players to get better and you know you could, can't have a controller over there with a pro but I think people really look for kind of that emulation aspect. Oh, I can look at other players and see how did they do it and see if I can try to mimic it. Monkey see, monkey do, and kind of like the basic human impulse. That's so interesting that uh, people would request that because, I well, I guess for me, I've never thought about clipping it and being able to like watch it over and over again like that. That's actually very resourceful. I think it comes up with, uh, I know one thing that um, in very high level play is becoming a very, it's an interesting development is basically uh, air roll has been split now. You have a general air roll button that you just press in and then you use your left stick to rotate. Um, and then there's now directional air rolls, uh, which I'm sure people are aware of. But the reason this is important is because people think it's just preference, but there's actually significant differences in how what you can do with your car how easily you can do certain things based on if you use directional air roll which is just pressing a button and you automatically spin versus holding a air roll and then using your left stick to move your car um i use just a general air roll but that's something that i found that if you use a general air roll and then suddenly you're saying i want to use directional you cannot do the same things immediately it takes a rewiring a little bit of your brain to figure yes. out how you should move the left stick. And that's actually one thing that I've really been able to help. Shout out to, you know, all the people like uh, Blue Fighter on Twitch. Uh, it's Paps Dude on Twitch. Like, he's someone that uh, Kira RL on Twitch. Uh, they switched from general to uh, directional role, and they have controller overlays. And actually, it's super helpful in that regard, I found, to look at how they're moving the left stick because it's completely different on how you do it. You have to move it almost like in a circle with your spin to counteract, like, how your car is leaning. Um, and so I definitely understand the people who want that control overlay and who really seek out, you know, that might be useful to like stare at a controller and figure out how are you doing that in that moment? Yeah, I guess um, I'm so entranced by like what's actually happening on the screen that I've never thought like, oh, if I take if I clip this right here, I could watch it over and over and over again, like watch it on the screen, then watch it on the controller and try and put the two together. Yeah, and I'm the hmm. same way, and that's why I was also like, wow, that's I never even that just flew over my head because I never yeah. considered people would actually want that. But then I started getting requests for it, so now it's back, and I have a, a custom controller because I'm like, well, might as well look nice. <laughs> yeah, oh, I I like uh, your controller by the it, it's really cool the one that you have on your <laughs> for your stream. Um, so I have speaking of your stream and overlays, I've checked it out a couple times. Uh, the first time I noticed that you were using the Taco Boost, uh, which was very on brand, which I appreciated. However, I don't know how you could manage to use that boost all the time. But then I saw it again last night and you were not using that one, which made me feel a little bit better because I don't see how you could use that Taco <laughs> Boost uh, full time. 
uh, whether it's on brand or not, that would be a bit too much for my ears. Yeah, the, uh, there's a some people in psych don't think so, but there's a there's a term called misophonia. It's uh, I believe it's Greek for technically hatred of sound, uh, but it's essentially <laughs> this disorder some people have that certain noises uh, activate a fight or flight system in you. So it people um, with this disorder typically uh have very specific triggers for a lot of people it's eating food or crinkling like if it, anyone oh, has ever sure, had a chip, yeah. a chip mm-hmm. bag and they're just crinkling it or like people get this set off in movie theaters all the time people try to open up candy during like previews and it's just crinkle 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 that's sound um and for me i've when i turn on the taco boost you just hear if people don't know the taco boost it's literally just the sound of someone like chewing tacos more or less it's like the crunching of the shell basically yeah. and I can totally understand why people could turn on my stream, hear that, and be like, nope, and then just immediately <laughs> no, mute thank it, you. Or just just say, like, can you please turn up game volume or something? Because it's it's definitely something to trigger that. Doesn't it sound like rawr, rawr, rawr. like it, it does. there's it also does. like a <laughs> sound that goes along. It's it's it can be very unpleasant. Like it's funny and it but like listening to it all the time i i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't it's it's part of the meme and my game volume gets drowned out by my stream music and talking to people so i think i just don't even notice it after a while yeah it, i think i think it's you know like people wonder how people could live in big cities next to trains but eventually once you hear it enough just mm-hmm. kind of in the back it just you just kind of forget that it exists so i guess if you got to that point it would be a little bit easier um so i want to ask one more question and this might be opening up a whole new bag that could go on for too long, but I'll, I'll try not to let that happen. So in, in your opinion, what is it, what is it going to take or what does it look like for you to uh, get back to where you were in season one right now in season two? So getting, getting back that 200 MMR, what does that look like for you? Oof. Um, and then also, do you feel like there are other players that are in the same boat as you that are also like, like, is it kind of the combating people that are trying to come up, the people that are kind of stuck uh, down and then the people in between? Like, is it a mishmash or and what is it going to take you to kind of get to where you feel like you could be? Um, I've gone back and forth on this for a while. Um. I I remember I promised never to do this, but I did eventually write a twit longer. Uh, it wasn't super dramatic. It was more so just I got to a point, I think in season one, where I, I've i never hit a wall quite like that, where I was able to normally in every season before then uh, get into the game, get my GC awards, get up to like 17, 18, 1900, and just play at that level for pretty much the whole season. And season one, I just was unable to do that. And I think you mentioned like people falling or people coming up. I think with everyone compressed, it's getting very difficult to get out of that, especially now that I think season one was only like three months or something like that. It was very short. If you think about season 14 being like, I don't know, like a six, seven, eight months or something crazy like that. So um, I think what it would take for me to get back is the same as other people uh, in the same boat. I think people, they're barring the entire ranked community at high level or really at any rank. Cause I'm not just speaking about one rank. I think other people relate to the being hard stuck at times is, you know, barring the entire community collectively thinks I should play more strategic and then they should just, you know, play with everyone. And, you know, it gets way more straightforward. 
um, I basically said in that twit longer mentioning how I was so upset that I'm like, I'm getting burnt out. Grad school's already tough. This is supposed to be like my fun hobby and it's not being fun. So I think I'm going to have to play with friends more that I trust, like at that level or play with people I'm more used to. And uh, I think that's really the way that most people have been going is that ranked has a lot of unpredictability and volatility in the ranks. And I think to minimize that chaos, I think just inviting people you know and are familiar with is very helpful, um, which is why, you know, parties get an MMR nerf. Um, if you guys were not aware, you're in a party, you'll actually gain less than if you were queuing by yourself. Um, and I think that just has to be the way forward at times, because I think right now the meta of Rocket League is always developing. And I think right now ranked is a little too volatile and there's way too much disorder in how play styles clash and which don't fit together. And I think that's not going to change until ranks settle a little bit. We start seeing a little bit more consistency in how people approach the game and how people think about the game. Um, and so for right now, I think it's just on me to get better personally as a player, as always, because I can't take myself out of the equation. But certainly, you know, prioritizing playing with other people and finding like-minded individuals that I can queue with and understand and sync up, I think. But will with seasons being consistently from now on only two or three months, as opposed to the six, seven, eight months that we got to live with in season 14, will rank ever settle? Like by the time it settles, they're just going to mix it up all over again. I think that's, I, I think Sionics definitely has a huge hand in that. I think soft resets and hard resets, I mean, this is a debate we've had many times in my stream. MMR is a very imperfect system. There's way too many factors in Rocket League that make someone good at the game. Uh, I think I use myself as an example. I can play pretty high level lobbies, but there's a lot of people who don't respect my skill and they shouldn't at that level because I think <laughs> I'm, I think personally I'm behind other people that are at a level that I used to play at, but I was able to get by by just being a good support player and trying to think, think about the game in a smart way and not necessarily always have to, you know, flex mechanics or something. But with the shorter seasons, I think it's tougher because by the time you're able to like get thrown down to like 1400, if you're at 17, 18, 1900, and then queue all the way back up, it is a little bit tougher because I think the skill's only getting better, but there's a collision of a lot of different players. So I think if, I think if Psionics, in my opinion, wants the game to be a little bit more stable, I think they should be having longer seasons. But to be honest, just like the MMR issue being not a, not super accurate and a great way to define skill all the time, I just don't think there's really a clean way to do a reset. You need to do resets. It's, it's a fundamental part of ranked and new seasons, but at the same time, I completely understand why people get very upset about them. I don't think there's a good solution to it. I think there's just a lesser of two evils between a soft and hard reset and also you know, having a three-month season, which people say is too short, and having an eight-month season where they're like, what are you doing? Like, is there a sweet spot? Who knows? Right. Season 14 was definitely way too long. Mm -hmm. I feel I I feel pretty good about like the season one length. And I think that people were having the same struggle that you've been describing. And I talked to Hootie about last week that, uh, you know, I think opening up free to play and then kind of like, so I, I would say that they quote unquote solidified their rank system for the foreseeable future with the release of GC123 and SSL. And unfortunately, 
you know, all of us that have been playing since before free to play, however long you've been doing that, especially in the upper ranks, we're kind of beta testing the system, whether we knew it or not, and whether we wanted to or not, because mm -hmm. they made this big switch and we just kind of got to deal with like the, the, what, what came from it. And we didn't know that. And we all got used to feeling a certain way about our MMR and the number and where we ended up. And then a lot of people just kind of got slapped in the face in terms of like where we end up now and how, how we have to deal with it. But I mean, just like you said before, uh, we just got to figure it out from here and how, how to move forward. And I, I think, uh, mentally i think everyone is still it's like the the memes on twitter like emotionally i'm here and it's like season 14 because i think there's a lot of people who uh i mean when they refer to their skill if you ask someone who is a pretty high gc like hey what skill level are you usually they'd say oh i'm like an 18 1900 player and they don't mean the current season they mean season 14 because most uh, like it was it was funny i'm uh like on my streams lately i'll i'll queue to like from like 1600s to like 17 and then i'll run into like either literal pro players or players that I recognized last season when I was like queuing way higher MMR, I was running into these guys. And I'm like, what are you doing down here? And then I hit me <laughs> you doing the same here? reason I'm down here because yeah. everyone's struggling. And I think it's just, uh, it's some people don't play as much as other people or other people are, you know, running into issues and they need maybe playing a party more. Or they're just getting tilted like I do occasionally. So yeah. like, I think that definitely is a huge aspect of it. Um, and so mentally, I think a lot of people still are struggling to adapt to season one, season two. And of course, there's a an ego aspect of saying like, no, I'm a 1900 player. I have played at 1900 before while simultaneously being at like 1600 in the current season. I I thought where you were going to go with that was like, oh, you play Rocket League. What rank are you? Oh, well, in the the conversation or the answer always starts with, oh, well, in season 14, I was X. <laughs> Yes. Like nobody just gives their rank anymore it's because it's backstory. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's <builder>. 300 <laughs> points lower than what you used to. Well, in season 14, I was 1900. Now mm -hmm. I'm 1600. So it's, yeah, like season 14 is dead and gone and we're all struggling with what has been. And now we're just left with what is, which nobody's, you know, thrilled about, but it just, it just is what it is. But then there are those people you know, there are still the pros that I, do you know, like what the, what the person, what was the number one MMR last season in threes? Did you ever look? I'd probably say it probably was about 2100. 20, 50, I was going to say there were probably people that still got all the way up there again. And, and those are players are the best of the best. Like those are players right. who are either pro players or players who will probably be a pro player at some point, because yeah. at that point, if you're if you're playing that well, you're either insanely good at the game or you put in a crazy amount of hours and just you're a grinder. But at the end of the day, you need to win those games. So you're clearly capable of playing at you know higher level. No one gets carried to two thousand MMR. That's that's the yeah the, the lesson there. That is not something that you can go pay for on Fiverr. Yes, at all. Is. So it's a that's something that I think is. I don't know, kind of crucial but yeah the backstory aspect of it like well in season 14 it's very much alive uh there's no one no one's clipped it no one's 
you know, used it as a asking me to put it as a command or something. But definitely in season one or season 14, people are like, Taco, are you worried about getting SSL? Do you think you'll get it? And in my mind, I'm like, well, the MMR is maybe going to be 1900. I've played that level before. I've gotten 100 plus points above that. Of course, I can play at that level. And then I fail to get it in season one. And then season two now, like a uh, statistic right now, I think there's 80 SSLs in the entire world right now. And I've kind of gone from, well, maybe if I grind hard enough in season one, I can get it. And I'm almost there. Season two, it's kind of just like, maybe next season. Like, <laughs> That's crazy. It's, it's very <laughs> tough to mentally admit and pet my, get my ego take the hit of, I am no longer the top rank in this game. And it, it, it hurts. It, it yeah. definitely does. A little bit. It's not breaking my soul, but it's definitely a little bit of my pride was being able to say like, I have played, you know, near top 100. I have played at the highest rank that there is or whatever. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I definitely feel you there. So if you if you had to say like where you are now, MMR aside, to really improve at the game and take yourself to the next level, like what what is the next thing that you would have to really grind? What is the next thing that you would have to add to your repertoire to be able to take your game to the next level? Um. I mentioned my infamous twit longer earlier, and part of that was my frustration with the game, but I think it also echoed my similar anxieties about content creation in that um, King Ranny, you had on the Infinite Boost podcast a while back, um, and I love King Ranny, but he is also someone who's a Twitch partner, and he is um, an awful human. No, I'm kidding. No. <laughs> he's a, he's a, no, he's <laughs> I didn't kid. see you going that direction. <laughs> I want to throw a curveball for all the listeners. No, uh, King Ranny's fantastic. I love, I love him to death, but uh, his mechanics are very good. He's someone who is an incredibly good player. Forky is someone who has exploded on Twitch because he is insanely talented at the game um, and in really mechanically gifted. Um, and obviously, not gifted implies it's given to him, but he earned it, obviously. Um, same as Randy. That's an anxiety I've always had about myself is that I think I've been able to get as far as I can get off of pure strategy. And now it's really just at a point where I need to just fine-tune you know air dribbles these soft tiny touches that you maybe miss every once in a while turning those shots that i hit half the time into shots i hit 75 100 of the time um and not letting myself put my foot off the gas i, I don't want to i don't ever want to stagnate in this game and i don't think anyone should want to i think it's okay to realize that oh i've hit a point where i need to work on stuff but for me my anxiety as a content creator was that if people want to find better gameplay, they can find it. And mm-hmm. I think I got in my head about that. Because, yeah, you can think about yourself as I'm top 0.05% of all players or something. But it doesn't feel like that in the moment. It feels like, in my mind, I miss a double tap. And I'm like, Ugh, God, Spuda, Forky, you know, any pro player or something <laughs> would have hit that. And, you know, are people watching that? And they're like, ugh, this guy. And, just, er, and that creeps into my head. So I think to hit that next point is also something in my mind that was thinking it's a two it's a two birds one stone situation uh improve my mechanics and not only will i be able to you know or or perfect those like certain things that i really need to like master and not only will i be able to hit those higher ranks and play at a more consistent level higher rank it's also something that i think would make my content better because people could see something that they really you know is above the average at that rank Mm -hmm. and really Mm -hmm. make me stand out but Part of that is vanity and part of it is actual self-improvement <laughs> and not just superficial things. I mean, the vanity comes along with it, right? But mm-hmm. focusing on or having the drive to be better, I don't see 
anything wrong with that. It's a, and again, that's just what Rocket League will do. I mean, of course, everyone has those moments where you play a game and you're like, I don't know why I play this game. And then you wake up the next day and you're like, well, time to play this game again, because for me, that's what Rocket League is. I mentioned it scratched that competitive itch. It's just something about it. I cannot put it down. And there's been times I've been super tilted with it. I've had nights where I've had one of the worst streams of my life. I just felt like it was in an awful mood. I felt horrible for the content that I gave everyone and people tuned in to see me upset. And I feel awful about it. And I'm like, I don't, I'm going to have to take a break. I don't know if I want to stream for the next couple of days. And then I get wake up tomorrow and I just feel completely refreshed. And I'm like, yeah. well, we'll just back to the grind. Let's yes. work on some mechanics. That was 75% of 2020 for me. It was <laughs> like, why am I still playing this game? I'm not getting mm -hmm. better. Mm -hmm. I'm frustrated. And I just, I couldn't stop. Like, so it, it just became, okay, well, if you're not going to stop, figure out how to make your situation better. I can, I can definitely sympathize with that. Well, we are, we are pushing the time and I don't want to keep, I mean, I would keep you longer, but, uh, <laughs> I don't want to keep on going around in circles and circles. Uh, I do appreciate you, uh, coming on the show, um, and taking some time to chat with me about Rocket League. It's, it's been very enjoyable and kind of sharing a conversation a little bit more about the psychological side of things as well. That that's always interesting to me. Um, cause this game is so psychological. That's, that is no joke. Um, being mm -hmm. able to kind of conquer that part of the game, I think allows you to get to, you know, where you are a little bit easier if you're able to think about it, uh, level head at, at least as level headed as possible as often as possible. Um, but I do always end the show the same way. Um, and the first part of that is uh, if you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with the listeners of the show. Uh, not much. I just uh, really want to thank you again for having me on. It's been fun. I always uh, like the podcast format. It's a nice, long conversation. You can get into better depth with topics. But I love that there's a Rocket League focused podcast, I think. At least my final thoughts are I'm super excited to see what 2021 brings for the esport as a whole, just because I still think when I think of Rocket League, I think back to season six world championships. I ran into a couple that was with their 14 year old son. They're in their 50s, something like that. And they mentioned they were having a blast. They had they had no idea what this video game was, and they thought it was super fun. They thought it was really entertaining. They understood what it was about. It's not like watching Dota where you have no idea what's happening on the screen. I think it's an accessible esport. It can only go up. And I can't wait to see what Psionics and just the content creation community brings to the scene. Did you did you enjoy the switch to RLCS X, the, the format change? Have you enjoyed I that? I think it's, as someone who kind of follows it in terms of teams and results, it's much harder, I think, for the casual viewer, which is kind of myself and kind of not to keep up with like what exactly the format is like they have like, mm -hmm. they had a whole video with Johnny boy explaining it and it's still kind of like wait hold on and you got to go back I think in terms of orgs getting a way uh heftier cut of the pie being able to customize their own broadcasts with the grid for example mm -hmm. is master class in terms of, produ uh, of producing content and being able to advertise this game around because now you know maybe you don't want to watch Rocket League's game of X team versus Y team. Now you can watch Envy go through the bracket. Now you can watch Alpine go through the bracket. Now you can yeah. watch etc. I just love how every stream has its own flavor. And I think even though the format's a little more convoluted, I think there's you can't you can't in this day and age complain. God, I wish there was a little bit more to watch. <laughs> you have 
a huge platter to choose from. I think that's the one thing is that there's like, we went from two seasons a year that were like eight weeks long. Mm -hmm. And then it was always on the, to like, and of course it's slowed down a little bit over the break over the holiday, but there is so much rocket league to watch now every weekend plus the grid. Like it's, there's an insane amount of content, which is awesome and a little overwhelming at the same time. So I, I kind of understand where you're coming from. Like it, if you want to be somebody that keeps up with rocket league in general, not just a specific team, it gets a bit heavy to like keep up with all of it. I mean, it comes at all levels because pro players have constant tournaments, not only for the grid, but with like events, like big events mm -hmm. that like Sonics helps host for a couple thousand dollars. But then if you uh, if people are a fan of collegiate Rocket League or, you know, uh, Crimson Wings, it does tournaments, Alpine Esports does tournaments like there's hundreds of weekly tournaments. I legitimately feel like you could not go pro and still make money in this game consistently just if you win tournaments, just because there's hundreds of thousands of tournaments out there that are weeklies that are you know different specific days monthly tournaments it's it's weird to see the the esport go from something where a year and a half two years ago i would go on smash and look for a tournament i could not find any now it's like there's too many to choose from <laughs> so it, the the game is exploding in popularity and i love to see it because yeah. it's now it's not just oh this is a fun little game there's a humongous ecosystem of gameplay that you can tap into yeah, it is definitely becoming more and more of a of a real thing. So where can people find you out on the Internet? Oh, well, uh, if you guys uh, enjoy a late night stream, that's kind of my the niche that I've carved out for Twitch. But uh, my Twitch and Twitter are uh, the danger taco, just like it sounds the danger and taco uh, back to back. Um, I usually just tweet random thoughts that I've been told are fairly humorous, but uh, my Twitch is very much focused on uh, collaboration between my avenues in the community. That is, I've been doing a lot more commentating, but most of it is high-level play with a focus on coaching. Uh, I try to balance a line between giving you a good amount of gameplay, but also a very interactive chat, because I think at the end of the day, Twitch is where you come to interact, not just watch. Mm -hmm. Very good. And then last but not least... Uh, I give all my guests an opportunity to ask a question of the audience and they can respond to that in our discord or, you know, on Twitter or here in the chat, just like wherever things pop up. But uh, any question that you might like to see an answer from the people that listen to the podcast uh, that you would like to get some responses on or curious about. One thing that I've, I've been, I, got, I just talked about this with my friend the other day. Do people enjoy the look or feel of socks and sandals? Or is it just a convenience thing? Like, I already have socks on. I don't want to put on shoes. Let me just slip on the sandals. Because I've see, been seeing it a lot lately, and I'm not a fan. I don't think it's appropriate. I don't, I don't think it should be allowed. I don't think it should be encouraged. There's children out there. Um, they learn from us as adults. So... I would like to know if you think it's only acceptable as a matter of convenience or if you genuinely think that is the way to wear sandals or flip flops. So you're purely, you're purely clearly, I was trying to say purely and clearly not in a, you don't approve. I, I just think it looks, 
it's it's amateur hour there i don't have great fashion sense at all but i just you're you need to make up your mind you want free toes so you're wearing sandals and flip-flops, but then you're containing them with socks. It just feels like you're a conflicted human. I, I'm not a fan of that. I feel like you should be either freeing the toe and wearing just a bare foot and a sandal or flip-flop, or you should just wear socks and put on shoes. It, I just, I feel like you got to pick a lane, and that's but, the straddling is what bothers me. What if you want something more freeing, like a sandal, and you want to make sure that your toesies are warm, so you're wearing socks? If you're, I think if... If your priority is keeping your toes warm, I think you should wear a shoe. And if the problem is the ventilation, there's shoes with good ventilation. Puma makes really decent, sponsored by Puma now, but yeah, just uh, Puma <laughs> has had a couple of shoes that I used to use for jogging that had great ventilation that feel very cool and breathe well. So I just feel so like you've clearly like, already thought this out. I, well, it's it, these are these are the debates I get on a lot with my community is just someone will bring up something like hey, you know how this works? And I'm like, how dare you assert that that's how this works? And then we get into it. <laughs> and I guess people don't necessarily, they, they might be taking for granted what it means to start a conversation or a debate or a discussion <laughs> with somebody that is working on a doctorate degree. That, that In psychology, <laughs> you are built to discuss and debate and come to a conclusion that is solidly yours. That was a... That was so. I uh, escalation is one of my favorite things in a uh, chat. We had a, we had a thing the other day where Fenix are a huge thing in Rocket League right now. People come into Twitch chat saying, "How do I get the Fenix? Give me a Fenix." Um, I had a promotion for a while on my stream that said, "I will give you a free Fenix with any five hundred dollar donation that you give to my stream." <laughs> and people would come in and say, "You're joking, right?" And I say, "Oh, absolutely not. I I want to make sure this is a good deal for you. So any donation you give me, five hundred dollars or greater." you will be able to get a free Fennec. I don't really know any other streamer giving that type of generosity away. And people would engage with me, and I will not back down on that. I will I will keep ramping it, and I think that only helps when you have a, uh, stakes that do not matter. When you have flip-flops with socks, who cares? I care. <laughs> I, will, I, I, will, I will go to the mat on it. I will, I will take you uh, on in these kind of weirdly specific niche areas. <laughs> Good to know. Well, I guess I will. I mean, to be to be fair, to be clear, I do agree. With, like my nephew is a very consistent socks with sandal wear. And I think it's mm -hmm. like a generational thing because me growing up like sandals are to be worn like sandals. Why would you wear? It just looks funny wearing socks with them, if anything mm -hmm. else. Uh, and then I saw him do it and it's just like a thing that they do. Just like me growing up, it was all about like ankle socks and like having the no show socks and wearing shoes that just look like you were wearing shoes, but not socks, but you really were mm -hmm. wearing socks. Mm -hmm. And now kids wear the the like pull up socks again. Like it's all just a rotation. So maybe it's just some misguided kids that'll, you know, be misguided and make mistakes and, you know, years down the road, they'll be able to look back and laugh at all the foolishness that they did. And I think we're the, e we're the e-boomer, we're the e-boomer generation. I, 100%. I hit 26 this year and, uh, or last year rather. And, uh, I definitely feel like there's moments where even my freshman students I teach, they'll say something or do something. And I'm like, why, why, well, what is this? What? I don't get it. And now it hit me. I'm like, I'm officially at the point where the kids don't make sense at times. Yeah. So socks and sandals. I'm like, why would you do that? They're like, it's the fashion. It just, 
like I've hit that point where I officially care about these things. And yeah. it's both sad and also fun. <laughs> it, it's just a part of life and we got to yes. deal with it. Okay. Well, you had the question, socks with sandals. Make sure to let the danger taco know, but just make sure when you let him know, whether it's in his stream or on Twitter, that if you don't agree with him, uh, it will not be pretty. Clearly, this is this is a preview. Come prepared with your arguments if you are going to say something contrary to what he thinks. So I will say again, uh, danger taco, danger taco. Thank you for spending some time with me. This was uh, this was a hoot and a half. Uh, I enjoyed myself. Um, thank you so much, and as always, thank you for the boost. Of course, well, thanks so much for having me.